Welcome to the Nine Moms Podcast. My name is Phineas, and this is my mama's podcast, and, and here she is. In today's episode, we hear from Ruan, who's going to be sharing the birth of her little boy, Noor, with us in the US in late 2020. Ruan and her partner decided to go from Egypt, from Cairo, where they live and where they're from, to have Noor in the US because of reasons that Ruan will be sharing with us during the pod today. And so she shares the journey of uh, finding a care provider during her pregnancy at home and then finding another one when she was over in the US waiting to give birth. Ruan talks a lot about this pressure that we sort of put on ourselves in regards to having this fairy tale, perfect, beautiful birth and pregnancy and postpartum and breastfeeding and, and, and this not being the reality for her and how she dealt with that expectation and And I think it's such an important discussion to have and such an important story to hear because as I've been talking about a lot um, during previous episodes as well, one, one of the women that shared on the pod said that it's not a birth plan, rather a birth wish that we have. And so we can wish and prepare for for one kind of birth, but also we should be able to look at all kind of birth equally and going if I need this actually that's fine and if I need something else that's also fine and and in this way all all birth is beautiful and all birth is perfect and and actually it's the baby that decides how they're gonna come onto this earth so we discussed the the stigma that comes around around birth sometimes when things don't go the way that we wanted them to and it's a very important conversation I think. Now we did this recording a few weeks ago and as Ruan is in Cairo we have Cairo streets in the background a little bit and we also hear baby Noor here and there and it's as it should be you guys. It's what life looks like. So um, without much further ado here is Ruan and Noor's story. So hi, Ru, and welcome to the Nine Months Podcast. Hello. Thank you for trusting me with your story today. Would you like to start by introducing yourself and, and this little man that we just heard in the background? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure. Uh, I'm, uh, my name is uh, Ruan. Uh, friends call me Ru, as you have been doing. And uh, I, uh, I'm... Uh, I'm a, I work as a journalist and I make videos also uh, for like NGOs and stuff uh, and I live in Cairo in Egypt um, and uh, what, what else did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> and who is in your family? Oh yes, uh, so I uh, have a baby, uh, it's called Noor, which means light and he is three months old. He was born in November on Thanksgiving Day in the U.S. And uh, my husband is called Ahmed. He's also a journalist. Uh, 
and uh, yeah, we live in Cairo. Great. All right. So let's start with uh, your journey to becoming pregnant. Did you guys plan to have a baby and how did you find out that you were pregnant? No, no, we, did, we didn't plan it at all. <laughs> Our life is uh, quite precarious all the time. <laughs> we, we didn't plan on anything. Like we got married uh, on a whim <laughs> because we wanted to go to South America together. And, uh, you know, we're in Egypt, it's conservative. So we just wanted to, you know, like make our relationship official <laughs> just to travel together for a long time. And then, yeah. <laughs> And we got pregnant also on a, you know, without planning it and, uh, <laughs> and we're very surprised by it uh, uh, and freaked out. And we were, I think, not necessarily not ready, but like it was really not in our plans. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to have children at all. Um, and so it was very surprising, but it was also like, you know, uh, now I, I I'm really happy it happened, you know? yeah. <laughs> even though it was uh, unplanned and very surprising. But, uh, you know, like uh, it was the uh, nicest mistake I've ever made, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so we just, uh, it just kind of happened. I found out at the beginning of COVID, uh, like the beginning of the lockdown here in Egypt, which was in March. Mm -hmm. um, and... And yeah, after it took some time to settle in and stuff, we were quite happy about it. And uh, things uh, like, you know, everything was off here. There was a lockdown. Um, there was a curfew. You couldn't leave the house after 6 p.m. Hmm. Uh, everybody was working. Well, most places like were working from home. Schools were closed. Um, so it was quite an interesting time to be pregnant. Right. Um, it was actually kind of, I mean, I, I know it's very bad to say this one, like, you know, it's a pandemic and so many people have gotten sick and lost their lives. But for me, it was really convenient <laughs> uh, when I was pregnant because um, it meant that I could uh, really relax and not feel like I was missing out on stuff mm. and uh, not um, feel pressured to, to work. Uh, I, I had some work, but not a lot. And at the beginning of my pregnancy, I was very tired. Uh, like I didn't have, thankfully, like uh, morning sickness, but I was nauseous and like really fatigued. So it was good for me to just kind of take that first few weeks of just relaxing, and, you know, binging Netflix. And I could, didn't even have energy to read, like not even read books. You know? um, so it was, like at the beginning it, and also like you know i live in cairo it's a crazy city it's really busy yeah um really polluted really crowded and during that time it was so clean because there were no cars on the road <laughs> the air was so clean the streets were so calm uh like usually i can't sit on my balcony because it's so loud and so chaotic but during that time I could sit on my balcony in the evening and it was so sweet and so nice and I could I was going for walks like it was really a nice chance to discover the city because it was so empty and I was uh, all the websites you know encourage you to walk when you're pregnant so I was going on long walks and like discovering neighborhoods in the city that I would normally never walk on because it's so chaotic and it's so crowded right 
So it was like the beginning of my pregnancy was actually very pleasant because of that, you know. Uh, and, you know, just having, uh, I was going for walks with friends, like, because we obviously wasn't seeing people in, in houses and, and stuff. So when I wanted to see a friend, we'd go for a walk, like be like, which neighborhood should we go walk in? So it was super nice. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was a pretty smooth pregnancy. Uh, it was, uh, it was a good time to be pregnant for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though I was like, of course, a bit anxious about the, the pandemic and COVID and what would happen if I get it? And, you know, is it dangerous for me? Is it dangerous for the baby? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that stuff. Uh, but it was still there. There were pros and cons, you know, to COVID pregnancy. Yeah, of course. Did you, how does it work in, in Cairo? Do you have some sort of standard testing that you do when you're pregnant? Or how does the care look like? Or what did it look like for you? Right. I mean, um, we have here, uh, we have public health care. Uh, that's quite bad. Uh, it's uh, because, you know, like, it's not a very rich country. And uh, you have, and the population is super big. Um, uh, so it's not a great healthcare system. Hmm. Uh, so most people who can afford it go for private healthcare, uh, which is what I chose. Uh, so I was uh, following up with a private doctor that was recommended to me by a friend uh, who had given birth the year before me. Um, he was a very good doctor. So yeah, so uh, I was recommended this doctor by a friend of mine who had given birth the year before me. Uh, and uh, he was uh, very cool. I was very comfortable with him. Uh, he uh, just kind of told me like, yeah, he did a scan and he said everything looked normal and he had me do like some blood tests and stuff like that. And then he gave me, uh, told me to take some prenatal vitamins and uh, was like, okay, like we'll do some, he made me do like a 4D scan and uh, every month or so I was or three weeks I don't remember I was going to see him and he was giving me like every time I was going he was giving me an ultrasound uh, and uh, every trimester he would ask me for like to, to go to another center to do a 4d scan to do like blood work and stuff like that um, but yeah, it was, as I was telling you, it was pretty smooth. Um, there was nothing really uh, alarming about my pregnancy. So he was just pretty chilled with me. Uh, and he was like, I liked him as a person also, not just as a doctor. So that was uh, also very comforting. But also because I was, uh, I was planning on giving birth abroad. Uh, I didn't, uh, I, so I kind of knew that there was a big chance that he wouldn't be the doctor that delivered my baby. Hmm. Uh, so I didn't also talk to him a lot about like birth and stuff because I was trying to give birth abroad. So I wasn't really uh, focused when I was looking for a doctor. I wasn't very focused on like what kind of, like what his stances on birth were and stuff because I knew that probably I wasn't going to give birth with him anyway. So what made you guys um, decide to to give birth abroad? And how did you pick where you were going to go and and uh, pick a doctor and all of these things? So we, um, 
uh, we wanted uh, to, uh, we were very concerned about like, I mean, more me than my partner. Uh, I was very concerned about having a baby in general. Um, it was something I was really uh, afraid of and not just on a personal level, but like um, for, uh, uh, because of, you know, the country I live in and, you know, it's, it's a country with a lot of political problems. It's quite corrupt. Um, mm. It's, uh, uh, the, the education system is not good. It's very, it's privatized and it's like, so expensive to go to a good school and even then it's very there are lots of issues with the education system that needs a whole other episode to go through <laughs> um so yeah i was just very concerned about uh having a baby in egypt and having the baby grow up here and also not just about like the childhood of the baby here but also like what kind of opportunities would exist for him when he was an adult and I was concerned about what the country would look like in 20 years when he's an adult. And so for me, it was um, really important to give him an option to, uh, for an out if he chose to have it. So I, uh, so yes, so I was uh, also concerned about like the future and what the future would look like here. And, uh, and knowing that, you know, so everybody in my generation either thinks about immigrating or actually immigrates <laughs> it's, uh, it's something everybody thinks about it's not like um and some of course not everybody does it because there's too many of us but like it's really something that that, that kind of gives you an idea of how it is here you know mm. so and me and his father didn't immigrate and chose not to uh and uh, that was the choice we made but i didn't want to like make it harder for him if he made that choice and I don't know what the country would look like and what the world would look like in 20 years. And so we wanted to give him that opportunity. And some countries uh, uh, have a law that uh, means if you're born there, you're a citizen. Uh, and it's mostly the countries in the Americas, so like the US and Canada and most of Central and South America. Um, and so we decided that we would want, and it's perfectly legal, like we weren't going to do it if it's illegal. It's perfectly legal to do that. Right. So we uh, decided to, to do it. And because of COVID, um, there were a lot of travel restrictions. Like Canada, for example, has, has had closed borders for a year. Uh, and a lot of the South American countries as well. And it just so happened that we had a U.S. visa, me and her, my husband, uh, that was valid. Um, and the U.S. didn't have restrictions on travel. So we decided to do it in the U.S. And also uh, the U.S. was a good option for us because we have family, both me and my husband in New York and New Jersey. Um, so we decided that, that would, it would also be helpful for us to have support from the family there. And it was so important at the end also because we ended up staying the first while in um, with his uncle in New York, like at his uncle's house in New York, he wasn't there. Uh, and so it was great at the end of the pregnancy to be in New York, be somewhere where we could walk and like, you know, go to the park and stuff. And then the, towards the end of the pregnancy and after I gave birth, we stayed with family in New Jersey. So it was also really nice to be with, like staying with the family, like our family. And, you know, 
being taken care of <laughs> when you really need to be taken care of. And also in, in nature and it was just, and in a big house and it was just really nice. Um, mm. So, uh, so it, at the end also the, this was uh, a huge factor for us that we would not be just stranded there alone, that we would have people to support us. And it was also really lucky that my mother had a valid US visa as well. It, uh, it was actually just, my father died a couple of years ago and um, it was him who always made sure we had valid U.S. visas <laughs> uh, because he was always like, you never know what's going to happen in, uh, in Egypt, whether if we need to go and stuff. So he always made sure we had valid visas. So we feel like it was his gift to the baby, you know, even though he didn't get to meet him, but it was like sort of his gift to the baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we... Um, so that's how we ended up going. And we didn't know where to look or what, like we just knew we wanted to give birth in the US, but we also knew that the US like had a sort of privatized health system. And when we first Googled like how much it would cost to have a baby in the US, it was like $50,000 and we freaked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then uh, I started talking to friends or people I knew who knew people who had uh, given birth in the US because it's common. I mean, it's not that common, in, but it is common uh, that I know a few people who've done it. And a friend of mine had given birth there the year before. Uh, and so basically the doctors, some doctors there do this uh, thing for people who have no insurance, where it's like a self-pay package. So they give you like a major discount because they know you'll be paying out of pocket. So that's what we did. Um, we found a doctor that was doing that and we uh, we were freaked out that they wouldn't let us into the US because it was still under Trump uh, when we were uh, we actually uh, like were there for the election and we saw Biden like get the win the election but when we entered it was still Trump uh, Trump era and uh, so we were really worried that they wouldn't let me enter because I was pregnant even though it's legal, but uh, Trump was really against this policy and he was trying to change it. So we were really, really nervous. But eventually, you know, I went and it was fine. And I mean, they, I didn't lie at the airport or anything, but they were totally fine with me going in. And, uh, and we, uh, we first arrived and we went to the doctor there that, you know, that a friend of mine had given birth with. And it was really bad experience. Like, we went and it was COVID and we were at the clinic for like six hours and there was, and the clinic was completely full. So it was like super like dangerous, you know, you have a clinic full of pregnant women in the middle of COVID and it's full and everybody's waiting and the staff are not telling us anything. And it was just, and we had gone from New York to New Jersey to his clinic. So we also, it was a really long way. So we didn't want to go back and then come. So we decided to just wait. Um, so it was really bad. And eventually we went in and they put me, they asked me a bunch of questions and then they um, asked to see my papers from Egypt. And I showed them like all my medical records and stuff, the nurses there. And then they uh, put me on a fetal monitor and I didn't understand why. I was like 31 weeks and I 
having ultrasounds in Egypt, but never, uh, I was never put on a fetal monitor. I was like, why? Mm-hmm. Anyway, they did. And it was like in a really tiny room that was so hot. And they put you on this like really uncomfortable chair. And I was crying and I was not understanding why they were doing this. Then we met with the doctor and he saw my, like the report from the monitoring. And he was like, oh my God, you know, you're having so many contractions and uh, you're at high risk of preterm labor. Uh, I think you can go to labor in any second. Uh, and this is very serious and stuff. And you have to have complete bed rest and you have to, um, and he wanted me to take a steroid shot because he was like, it helps the lung of the baby develop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I feel fine. Like, why would you say that? Like, why? I, and he's like, look, it's the, the fetal monitoring says so, blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't believe him, honestly, just sitting there, me and my partner, we both didn't believe him. But at the same time, there is a doctor sitting there telling you you're in preterm labor. What do right. you do with that? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, so we decided not to take the steroid shot. I was like, I'm going to think about it. I was like, I need to go home and do my research and ask my doctor. And then I'll, uh, uh, I'll decide later. And he was mm-hmm. like, yes, but I really recommend it. Uh, and honestly, I felt like he just wanted me to take it to make some money off of me. This is what it felt like. Right. Um, so I just went home and in tears, you know, and I was really upset. And, um, and I talked to my doctor in Egypt. I was like, look, this is what he told me, la, la, la. And my doctor was like, look, I, I didn't see the, the report, so I don't know. But like, if you feel fine, you're probably not in labor. Um, yeah but rest just in case until you can get a second opinion, blah, blah, blah. And then I um, contacted my, my uncle in the U S he's a doctor. uh, And I told him like, can you find me a doctor? (laughs) Because I want someone like I was also, I had other contacts for doctors, but I was too afraid of going and having this happen again. Yeah. Or, and I just wanted someone like, you know, that I trusted. And I felt like if I go to someone from my, uh, uncle's side that he would it would be safer because you know I was like it's a doctor and you know doctors have a network and he would like pay special attention to me <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> so I so eventually like my uncle found me a doctor uh, who also has a self-pay package for foreigners and stuff and he was a great doctor he was uh, he was also a Syrian doctor which was really nice because we could speak Arabic to each other and he understood like where we were coming from and stuff and um, and I went to his clinic and he was like, I told him like this and this happened and la la la. He was like, do you feel like you're in the contractions? I was like, no. He was like, do you feel like tired? And do you feel, I was like, no. He's like, then you're fine. <laughs> and he was like, you're, he's like, you're 30 something weeks pregnant. Any pregnant woman, if you put her on a monitor will show some contractions, but like there are, he's like, the, this is not preterm labor. Right. And at the end, you know, I was overdue. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. So it was ridiculous, you know, mm, mm. and I felt like, you know, really like taken advantage of and it just was really bad. And that doctor that I went to at the beginning, you know, like uh, there was this WhatsApp group I was on that was for like people who are going to give birth in the US, foreigners going to give birth in the US. And a lot of people go to that first doctor I went to and he tells this to so many people. Wow. 
And so many people, you know, end up taking that steroid shot and like doing complete bed rest for the entire time they're in the US. And it's so unnecessary. And I don't even understand why he does it. Because like the steroid shot is like $100. Like surely he's not doing this for $100. I don't know. Anyway, it was just really bad. Um, but at the end, I was lucky with the second doctor I found. And he was really good and so professional. And the clinic was great. And he was, you know, I felt really comfortable with him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so I continued my care with him for the rest of my pregnancy. Yeah. And how was it? Was it different, the care that you got in the U.S. from, from at home? Um, I, I mean, of course, it was different. It's a different system. Uh, but uh, I didn't feel... Uh, I felt, I guess, maybe the, the doctor I was with in the U.S. was a really good doctor. But he was uh, very busy. You know, he had so many patients and like... He wasn't always there in the clinic and stuff. Whereas the doctor I was with in Egypt was, he gave, I think, more time to the patients. Right. Uh, so I felt like I could always have time with him and ask a lot of questions and talk to him a lot and stuff. Uh, and so I guess I felt more comfortable with my original doctor. Um, yeah. Because they just had, felt like there was more space for me there. But... At the end, it was, I mean, I felt taken care of in, in both, uh, with both doctors and in both clinics, you know. And I guess, you know, the one in the U.S., it was later in the pregnancy. So it was more like I was doing, I was going more, like I was going every week and then every three days, you know. And, uh, and they were doing the cervical checks, which is not something anybody enjoys, I think. No. <laughs> so that I also have a lot of like memories of that there. So this is not something very pleasant. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there wasn't much of a difference I found. Right. And did you know what kind of a birth you wanted or wished for? Or did you make a birth plan? Or how did you go yes. about that? Yeah. Yes, um, from the beginning, I really wanted to have like this, you know, beautiful, natural birth, you know, in a pool with like fairies. and uh... <laughs> Everybody wants that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like obsessed with this idea. Um, mm. And also because, you know, in Egypt, uh, the C-section rate is really, really high. It's like 60%. I think it's the highest in the world or one of the highest in the world uh, because like I explained, like the medical system is very privatized and basically doctors want to do C-sections because they cost more and they, uh, they can do more in, the, in one day so they can have more patients. Uh, so it's just good business, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so uh, I was really afraid of that and I really didn't want to have a c-section and I really didn't want to be like tricked into a c-section <laughs> um and this is something I was really obsessed about and uh and because you know like here uh like I said because it's so common uh there are like it's also a lot of women opt for elective c-sections in Egypt and also a lot of women are told they need C-sections when they don't by their doctors. And so there is a small like uh, movement from pe women and from like some uh, a doula here that like is against this uh, 
trend of having so many C-sections. And so women are encouraging each other and this dude is encouraging women to like, you know, challenge their doctors and ask questions and not like take for granted whatever the doctor says, because there is also the culture of that in Egypt to just like the doctors are gods, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and so there was very much this, and I was very, uh, I think, influenced by that, uh, uh, by that mentality that like, you know, the doctor is out to get you. And if the doctor is telling you, you need a C-section, he's obviously lying. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously there's something in it for him. I even uh, started obsessing because I was due around Thanksgiving. So I was obsessed with the idea that my doctor was trying to convince me to have a C-section because he was going on holiday. Right. <laughs> and also because this happened to my mother, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, I was born around Easter and uh, the doctor that delivered my mother uh, induced her labor without telling her. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the 80s, but still. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was I, obsessed with this idea that, like, you know, the doctor was out to get me and that he, uh, whether my doctor in Egypt or my doctor in the U.S., that, and especially also with what happened with my first, the first doctor I went to in the U.S., I was, like, so skeptical of the whole medical community and of doctors and of everything. Hmm. And so when I started to go uh, further along into my pregnancy, so my doctor um, in the U.S. started telling me, like, you have a big baby. The baby's measuring at eight pounds. Uh, I don't remember something ounces, and it was like 36 weeks. He was like, it's bit really big. I think we should induce so that you can have a, a vaginal birth like you want. And I was like, no, I don't want to induce, like, you know, I, I want him to take his time and stuff. And then my doctor was like, yeah, but you could end up in a C-section. And I was like, every time he would mention the word C-section, I would like cry uncontrollably after I left the clinic. Um, I was really scared of having a C-section, but I think I wasn't just being scared of a major operation. I think it was also the fear of not having that, you know, fairy birth I wanted yeah um like like a sort of fear of failure yeah you know mm. even though now looking back i don't think it's a failure no. <laughs> you yeah. you grew and birthed the human however you birthed them but back then it felt like it would it would be a failure yeah and uh and especially because i had such a smooth pregnancy i was sure my birth would be smooth somehow uh which is like one does not indicate the other but like that's what i I felt like I was and because I was reading so much and I was felt so well informed about my birth but it's really ridiculous because also like you know I might have read a few pregnancy books and a few websites but like this doctor has been delivering babies for 30 years <laughs> <laughs> like also he knows he knows a bit right anyway so I was just really like um I was not taking any of his advice about induction or about uh, that I would probably need a C-section. And I kept waiting. And the last few weeks, the last few days, like every two days, I would go to the clinic and be like, Ruan, I think we should induce. I'd be like, no, no, let's wait. He'd be like, okay, I'll give you a couple of days. And like, I kept doing this over and over. And then eventually, like after I was like a week overdue, he told me like, okay, you come on Tuesday. If you're not in labor, I'm inducing you, okay? 
and he do you agree to this i was like i don't know i'll think about it and then my mom and my partner started telling me like listen like also we don't live here <laughs> <laughs> like we need to you, we need, you need to have the baby so that we can um go home <laughs> eventually <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know? hmm. so yeah so also they started telling me like we understand that you want this like amazing birth but like you know we need to go home so um so they started trying to convince me also like listen like maybe it, it's time to do the induction and it's okay and like this stuff so eventually on tuesday, that tuesday i went to the doctor uh, and then the day before i started to feel some contractions and i went to the doctor and he was like listen you're not dilated i think you should go to the hospital and be induced and i had my bag with me so i went to the hospital and then they put me on the monitor and they were like you're in labor you don't need to be induced my contractions were really uh, uh, close together and it was like when i first arrived to the hospital it was like 6 p.m it was like every five minutes or something and the doctor that was on call that night was like i think you're probably going to give birth like in the next few hours i was like oh great this is fantastic and then um i asked uh, i told them they offered me an epidural i said no they were like okay and then i asked uh, not to be constantly monitored so i could move around in the room and the room was very nice in that hospital uh, they had like a birthing ball and they had like this rocking chair and they had a shower and it was a private room. It was a very nice hospital. So I labored for a few hours without an epidural and uh, I was in so much pain. Like I never experienced anything like this in my life. Uh, and I, my contractions were so intense and so close together, like they were almost a minute apart uh, uh, very quickly. And it was just like, it was like, all, it felt like it was never ending. Like, you know, I read and heard that like contractions go like in waves. Like you get a wave of a contraction and then you'd have a few minutes of like to rest and then it comes again. But mine were really like really on top of each other. So I was sure that I was like about to give birth. And then by midnight, the doctor came and checked my cervix and I was only one centimeter that <laughs> I just couldn't believe it like it had been six hours of uh, really intense pain and uh, and I was like there's no way I'm gonna do this for I don't know how many hours now if this was one centimeter <laughs> so they offered me the epidural again I was like yes hell yes I'm taking it and they were like yeah but you can't move huh I was like I know I know what I'm getting into I'm taking it and they were like fine so I took it um, and at the beginning it was like it, it really dropped my blood pressure and they also gave me something to slow down the contractions because they said it was too much uh, for the baby and I wasn't dilating as fast as the contractions were going and the combination of the epidural and that uh, medicine they gave me I don't remember what it was called uh, made me like almost faint and um, it was really scary especially for my husband. I wasn't all there in that moment, but he was like freaking out. Eventually they stabilized me. They kept, I don't know what they gave me, honestly. There was a lot of stuff <laughs> and they stabilized me. And honestly, after that scary moment, like I was really happy I took the epidural because all of a sudden I went from like excruciating pain to like 
nothing. And I could see on the monitor that my contractions were still really intense, but I didn't feel anything. And that was great, you know? Oh, it was so great. And I was like, why didn't I take this from the beginning? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, um, and I'm really happy I did because I was in labor for 24 hours after that. Uh, after I took the epidural. Uh, so I, I stayed for the whole day in the hospital. Uh, shifts changed and, you know, nurses would come and go and midwives would come and go. And they had this screen where you could see like, the, you know, the, the heart rate of the babies and the contractions of the mothers in all the rooms. So every few hours, one would go off the monitor, so and I'd hear a baby cry, and you know, like so everything. It felt like seasons were changing, and I was still there. <laughs> <laughs> and mothers went and came, and I was still there the whole time. And it was just getting really frustrating. And every time someone would come check me, they'd be like, "Oh, you're four centimeters." Then they'd be like, "Oh no, you're three. Oh no, you're seven. Oh no, you're four. And it keep fluctuating depending on who checked me. And I was getting really frustrated because I felt like I was really not progressing. And it felt like this would go on forever. And in some ways, I would get some pain because the epidural kind of drops and comes. So sometimes I would also be in a lot of pain and sometimes not. And it was just like really intense. And eventually, um, they came to check me again when my doctor came. And uh, he was like, you're like nine centimeters. And you're, I think I was like 90 something percent effaced. So they were like, but the baby hadn't descended at all into my pelvis. So my doctor started telling me like, you know, maybe you should consider a C-section. This is not really working out for you. And I was like, no, and I'm freaking out. And I also felt like after all this, I'm going to have a C-section. No way, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kept, you know, the nurses and the midwives were trying to help me push they felt like maybe if I pushed, it would like help the baby descend. So they were putting me in different positions with pillows to try and get the baby to descend. And I was pushing and then not pushing. And like, we did this for a few hours. And eventually like my doctor came at some point, it was like 11 PM. And he was like, look, Rowan, you've been doing this for a while. Uh, I really recommend you have a C-section, but I'm going to give you an hour. Like think about it. And we're going to keep trying to, help the baby descend in this hour but if nothing nothing changes like let's consider a c-section and i'm really happy he gave me that hour because it helped me you know it helped give me space to like accept (laughs) the the inevitable that this was happening and i talked about it with my partner i was like i think i'm gonna do the c-section and he's like i think you should (laughs) it's time to end this uh, and I was like, okay. So then when they came back and asked me if I wanted to have a C-section, no, actually they didn't ask me. When they came back, the doctor was like, look, the baby's heart rate is dropping. It wasn't like dropping at an alarming rate, but he was starting to be concerned. So he's like, I really think you should have a C-section. I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. So it, and it went really fast after that. Like they prepped me. I stayed even, I had this like uh, cotton uh, labor uh, and delivery gown because obviously this hospital stuff wasn't good enough for my like beautiful natural birth. Um, right. 
<laughs> they didn't even change me out of that. You know, they just like pulled it up, you know, like started cleaning the area where they were going to cut and they just rolled me into the OR and it was all super fast. Like I was really impressed. Like with from the moment I said yes to the C-section to the moment the baby was out, it was like 25 minutes. It was crazy. And, uh, and yeah, the C-section was actually very painful. They upped my epidural. I was aware of everything that was happening, but I didn't think I would feel it. The doctor told me when he was about to cut, he was like, you're going to feel the pressure. You're going to feel us take out the baby, but it shouldn't be painful. I was like, okay, but it was really painful. And I kept telling them it was hurting. And the anesthesiologist was like upping the, the whatever is in the epidural. But it was really, really painful. Thankfully, it didn't last long. I mean, it was the whole procedure was like 10 minutes. So I wasn't in pain for a really long time, but it was really, really painful. And they took the baby out. The doctor just kind of showed it, showed him to us from over the, like they have this sheet. And they, he showed us the baby and then they took him to, you know, check all the stuff they check when the baby's born. And um, I was really upset. I didn't get to hold the baby right away. Um, so I was like really emotional and I was crying and I was also in pain and I was just really confused about how I felt. Yeah. And I was really dramatic. I kept telling my, uh, my husband to like go be with the baby. <laughs> and I was like, go with the baby, go leave me. And he's like, I don't want to leave you. It was all very dramatic, you know? And, um, and he went there and he cut the cord and he like, you know, counted his fingers and toes. And he doesn't know to this day why he did that, but he did. Yeah. Um, they were 10 and 10. So that was good. And, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, they stitched me up. They took me outside to recovery. And the recovery room was really weird because it wasn't really a room. It was like a corridor. <laughs> it was just in the corridor of the OR. And uh, they put me, you know, on the machines to like, monitor my how I was doing but then they you know took out the baby and gave him to me so that was nice I got to hold him and uh, he fed and you know it was a really nice moment everything was calm and the nurse that was with me towards the end of the the labor and within the OR stayed with us you know in the recovery so it was also someone uh, that we were familiar with and we really liked her um, so starting that moment you know everything calmed down and, you know, we have in Egypt, they call labor um, what translates to the forgotten hour. Yeah. Even though it's not an hour, but like that's what they call it, the forgotten hour. And the idea is, you know, that you forget all about it when you have the baby, right? Like when they had you the baby. And that's, it was, it rang so true in that moment. Because even though it was, you know, physically and psychologically like so intense, I felt like, uh, once they handed me the baby, it was like, whew, I completely forgot about it. You know, I got over it instantly and it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's why people go on to have more babies, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I can, I can understand that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then they gave me the baby. They gave us the baby and it was all good. No, <laughs> oh, good. And uh, can I ask only as well because you gave birth during the pandemic did that affect anything during your labor and delivery was there any anything extra that you did or had to do or couldn't do 
Uh, yeah, so uh, so because of the pandemic, uh, we uh, it meant that uh, going into the hospital, they don't allow any visitors. Um, they only allow you to go in with, uh, they only allow like the partner to go in with you. And actually they don't go in as a visitor, they are like checked in with you. So they can't leave and go back. Like they go into the hospital with you and they leave when you leave, you know? Mm. Uh, but we were lucky because I know that in some countries uh, they have uh, that uh, it's only the woman alone giving birth. So I think we were also lucky that my husband was allowed to be there the entire time for the labor and for the birth. Uh, so I guess, you know, we were lucky in that aspect. But for example, my mother really wanted to be there for the birth and she couldn't come and she couldn't even see the baby until we were discharged. Mm. And I think it would have been really helpful to have her there, you know, like as someone who's given birth before and like me and my husband were both like newbies and we didn't know anything. And, and also not just with birth, but with babies, like neither of us had ever changed the diaper, <laughs> for example, or done anything. And we were just left, you know, <laughs> to take care of uh, so, uh, so yeah, so it was, uh, it was kind of challenging to just be left there uh, on our own. And especially because my birth was so long, like I was in the hospital from Tuesday until Saturday. Uh, the birth and the postpartum and all that. And uh, it also meant that like, they, this was both a good thing and a bad thing, but like they like as soon as the baby was born, he was with us the entire time we were in the hospital because there was no nursery because of COVID restrictions. Uh, so it meant that like, you know, we were all stuck in the room together for like three days. And that was both nice because, you know, it was very precious the time we had together there, the three of us. But it was also really challenging because we hadn't slept in like three days <laughs> and that I'd been in labor because I had such a long labor and we couldn't like take a break from the baby at all. Like we couldn't send him to the nursery or give him to a nurse or something. Um, so yeah, it was both a blessing and a curse, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but that was it. I don't think there were any other restrictions because of COVID. Uh, it was just those two things. Yeah. So how was postpartum in general then and breastfeeding or did you, did you bottle feed or... How did all that go? Uh, no, in line with my, you know, fairy tale uh, labor, I wanted the fairy tale breastfeeding, you know, where the baby mm -hmm. would like magically latch and like it would feel yeah. so natural. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that also did not happen. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I uh, at the beginning when we were in the hospital, it was actually uh, when it was still not the milk, like when I still. Uh, you know the, the colostrum phase mm -hmm. the baby was actually feeding pretty well he wasn't feeding as often as the nurses at the hospital wanted the, hosp the nurses would come in every two hours and be like did you feed him did you feed him and be like no he's sleeping and they were um, pushing me to feed him more than he wanted but he was feeding you know like he was feeding and it was pretty smooth and then as soon as we left the hospital like the day after when my milk came in all of a sudden he couldn't feed anymore uh, he couldn't latch uh, and uh, he was screaming and I was crying and it was just like every time he would try to feed it would take like an hour just for him to latch and sometimes 
uh, he would latch and sometimes he wouldn't. Uh, and my breasts were getting like really engorged and, and so it was even harder for him to latch. And I didn't, I was in the US, you know, I didn't, I have a pump, but I didn't bring it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't even pump out milk and it was just a mess, you know. And then I went to the pediatrician, you know, that in the US they have like, you have to go three days after delivery um, to see a pediatrician. So I went and the pediatrician weighed him and he was like, okay, he didn't lose much weight, but he's dehydrated and you need to give him formula uh, if breastfeeding is not working out or pump milk for him. So we started by giving him formula uh, until I, I ordered a, like a manual pump that came. And so we started giving him formula and, and I started pumping out milk for him uh, because he couldn't feed. And it was very upsetting for me because it was like 12, like another disappointment in my natural <laughs> journey that uh, was not uh, working. And it just felt really bad, like, uh, you know, like to sit there and, you know, be pumped. And when you already feel like shit, you know, mm. and uh, I was, I also, you know, I had like um, so much water retention because I was on IV fluids for so long. Yeah. Uh, so like my, my legs were huge and I felt like, you know, I was like, 10 kilos more than before I had the baby. <laughs> it was like crazy. Like my legs were like, I felt like they were going to burst, you know? So I just didn't feel great. And I was really, you know, constipated and, and like still recovering from the C-section and couldn't really get out of bed without help. And like, uh, and couldn't breastfeed. And it was just really bad. Um, and, uh, and then also to have to pump uh, on top of all of that was just like, I felt like shit. And my mom kept telling me like, you know, you're very, it's, uh, you should look on the bright side and you're lucky to have milk that you can give to your baby, even if he can't take it directly. And like, you know, because when she was, when she had me, she didn't have enough milk, so I couldn't feed. So she was like, I didn't have milk and I really wanted to feed you, but I couldn't. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, the silver lining is not helping me. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it took us a few days, but eventually, you know, when the baby started uh, taking the pumped milk and the formula, he got stronger, I guess, or he learned to suck. I don't know what exactly happened. But uh, after that, when I started like I would give him a bit of the bottle and then give him my breast and he'd be able to feed. And eventually he didn't need the bottle anymore. Um, and so after a few days, it worked out, the breastfeeding. Um, and after a few days, you know, like the first week I think was just really horrible and I was in tears all of the time and like, mm. and the baby was well and like, <laughs> and my husband was like having to, deal with two crying creatures (laughs) um but um eventually like you know when the breastfeeding started going well and I was also starting to recover from the surgery you know I started to feel better all in all and also my like also on a psychological level it started to be better I think I only started you know, feeling like myself again, psychologically was like a month after birth. Mm. I think that the first month, even though breastfeeding was going better and my recovery was going well, I was still like having insane bursts of crying and like 
you know, feeling really shitty and feeling like a failure all the time, you know, like those kinds of thoughts. I think they only stopped like maybe yeah, a month uh, after I gave birth. But, but also it helped a lot. Like we, I had full-time help. Like my husband, he's a freelancer and we both took time off when the baby was born. So we had like two full-time parents and when we were in the U.S., my mom was with us. Uh, so she was also there full time to take care of the baby with us. And we were staying with family and they were like amazing at taking care of us. You know, like, you know, all the food, the stuff to do with the house, like everything was set up for like three people to fully take care of the baby. And they were also supporting and taking care of the baby sometimes. My cousins there and stuff. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so it was such a good setup, honestly. Like, it helped me so much. I think I would have uh, recovered much slower, both physically and psychologically, if I didn't have all the support. You know, I'm so thankful to have had all the support and had, um, like, I, like, here we don't have, um, what's it called? Parental leave for the fathers? Like, not at all. And I can't imagine, like, if, my husband had a full-time job and he'd have to go back to work like a day after I delivered. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane to think Uh, about. (laughs) Like some fathers, they choose to take uh, a week off or something, but it's from their holidays, you know, Yeah. Uh, to be there for the mom at the beginning. But, you know, here we mostly have the culture where like you go stay with your mom when you have a baby because, you know, to have support. And so, yeah, I was really thankful to have all that support uh it made it made it so it made it so much easier to to recover well and to take care of the baby and to take care of myself you know mm. um and and like relax you know <laughs> like i got some sleep and i don't know any most women don't get any sleep the first yeah one. i'm jealous right now yeah I'm telling you. <laughs> i it was really it was i'm so thankful that like i had you know a supportive partner and mother that helped me like gave me that space to recover you know Mm, mm. he's sitting behind me saying you're welcome yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) and so you are you're about three months postpartum now when did you guys uh return home and how did all that go we went home like uh about three and a half weeks after the baby was born Mm. It was just around the time where I started to feel normal and uh, and also when we could do the paperwork to have him, to be able to travel with him. And then we came back. Uh, it was pretty smooth at the airport. Like uh, we had so much stuff. We shopped a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like there were so many sales in the US because of COVID and Christmas and stuff. Right. And it was uh, just insane. <laughs> And uh, we uh, also, uh, yeah, flying with a newborn is quite funny. It's quite tricky, but, uh, and especially such a long flight. Um, But yeah, we, uh, oh yeah, and we had um, quite the incident, like after we checked in at JFK, uh, like Mm -hmm. uh, my son at that time had had been, you know how babies have this phase where they don't shit much? Yeah. You know, where they only shit every three days or something? Uh-huh. So he was having one of those 
incidents for a few days. And he decided that the most appropriate time to shit would be when we were uh, in line for check-in. And it was like a shit of all shits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it went like all in, into his onesie, into the legs. Yeah. Uh, it was like a totally explosive one. We call it the JFK explosion, which is quite yeah. bad. Uh, yeah, to well. that in, when you're flying. Um, <laughs> and it was like, uh, it took us like half an hour to like clean him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, and I was freaking out, you know, and uh, and I and we, I was also still not very confident uh, <laughs> as a mother. And it was uh, whenever in that phase, whenever anything happened out of the ordinary, I would just cry. But I think that this was so extraordinary that I couldn't even cry. I just I was in like, you know, go mode, and I just you know, me and my mom were went into the women's bathroom in the airport, and we just like you know took off all his clothes. She was washing his clothes on the sink. I finished like an entire packet of wipes to, to, to clean him. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like showering him in the middle of the airport. And that was like, it was crazy. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't shit again the entire flight. So oh, there you go. Maybe he was just preparing for the flight yeah. home. <laughs> I was like, it's better that it happened at the airport and not on the flight, honestly, in that tiny airplane bathroom. Absolutely. But yeah, it was quite, uh, quite the experience. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, that's great. All right. So are there any references or anything that you'd like to share with, with the listeners? Anything you used to prepare? I, um, I was reading uh, this, uh, what to expect uh, when you're expecting at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I really didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like it was too cutie for my taste. Um, and then I started reading uh, a book called Expecting Better mm-hmm. uh, by Emily Oster. And it, I really liked it because it was very pragmatic. It was like, she's an economist and she um, talks about her own pregnancies, uh, but from the lens of uh, research. And so she takes every myth or every like common conception about uh, pregnancy and birth and she breaks it down like with she looks all of the medical research about it and she just breaks it down for you in the sense of like not telling you what to do but like what the research she found says and you can decide what you want to do about everything and I really like that approach so this was a great book and she also has one for uh, after birth called crib sheets yeah and it's about like the first five years after birth. Um, and it's the same approach. So I really liked, th- this was the book I really liked when I was pregnant and I'm reading Crib Sheet now and I'm really enjoying it. Cool, maybe I should pick that one up too then. <laughs> it's nice, I really, I really like it. Um, yeah. It's like a bestseller in the UK, I think. All right, I'm gonna put all of that on your, on your show notes page as well. All right, so. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it was interesting to relive it. <laughs> Thanks again, Rowan, for coming on the show today and sharing your beautiful story with us. 
If you are listening in and you'd like to reach out to Roanne with any questions or anything, then do please feel free to reach out to me at ninemonthspodcast at gmail.com or go to ninemonthspodcast.com and fill in the contact form there and I'll be sure to pass on any correspondence towards her. Also, if you'd like to share your story, I'm always looking to record any beautiful story that's out there. So go ahead and send me send me your information and I'll reach out to you from there. All right, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful week ahead and I'll see you next week.